Welcome home to a life without limits, where you honor your alignment, nourish your soul, and awaken your inner goddess. Some days we fly, some, well, we've got you, sister. Abundance is your birthright. This is your remembrance. Hot Mess Goddess, juicy conversations for a luscious life. today's episode of Hot Mess Goddess, we have my beautiful new friend, Ashley Hall. Ash and I met in the Create community, which we'll probably go into at some stage throughout this podcast. But Ashley is a self-empowerment coach, a trauma therapist, a polarity therapist, and also a breathwork facilitator. So it's an absolute honor to have you on the show, Ashley. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy. Your introduction gave me tears, actually. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I actually got that right. It's the first time I've tried to merge them without doing a separate intro. So there you go. Beautiful. It's such a privilege to have you on. I have only met you briefly in the Create community and I have experienced one of your beautiful cacao ceremonies yourself. And you know how much I love cacao. I'm just so thrilled. And I've watched some of your journey through social media and also just through you sharing so vulnerably in that create community. So I'm really excited of what's going to come up today. Yes, that has been such a huge thing this last year is just diving into the vulnerability and being who we are, whether that is in our mess or in our beauty and that all of it is okay. Yes, I love that so much because from my perspective as like a I don't even like to class myself as a copywriter because I just don't like the term. But as that word stylist, I see vulnerability being used as a sales technique and it oh, nothing makes me cringe more. But when I see someone such as yourself really being vulnerable from that heart space, whether it's in your glory or in your complete mess, there's just nothing like it. Yes. And I will say that it you have witnessed me through my mess for sure. Like when we dove into the create community, I was going through very difficult times at that point. So it was definitely finding, diving into that vulnerability and and knowing that it was okay. And knowing that I could reach out to support from the tribe and from that community and being held through that. Yeah, it's truly a beautiful space. I've only just discovered it myself, but it is pretty magical. And that's what I love too. Like so many coaches and healers and those sorts of people, they seem to attract their own mess and chaos, yet a lot of them hide it. And it's all just part of helping you become so much better at what you do. And I love that you share that. That's actually, so a part of my journey has been the shamanic journey and like really embracing the shaman that I am. And what that has taught me so deeply is embracing the dark as much as the light. And so there's so many of us, and and I was guilty of it when I first started my business 10 years ago, because I was a healer, because I was this light, I had to stay in that light. I had to be okay all the time. I had to put this persona on and show everyone around me that, yes, I can help you because I'm okay. But really on the inside, I was, I was getting tormented because of all of the things. And there was so much more power in just letting it all be seen. Oh, so much. And because 
realistically, we are fucking human, right? None of us have this perfect life. So to even try and pretend that that's the case, it just causes inner turmoil. Definitely. For sure. (laughs) It's just crazy. So you've had, as you were mentioning, just so much going on lately. And I read a post of yours just before my phone's gone blank. I wish I could actually read some of the words, but it was all to do with how you have found the gifts in all that's been going on for you. Because you've had a breakup, you've had miscarriages, you've had so much going on in your life. And you've been able to truly see the gift in that. Yes. So a few months back, I I had a beautiful partnership that started. um, We'd known each other for a, a year or so before we ever started dating. Him and I were perfect mirrors and reflections of one another. So there was just so much beauty to see within that. And he also embraced his divine feminine enough that he could take his ego out of it for the most part and really present himself in a situation that may have been challenging and and talk through it, you know, and, and communicate and feel through it. And so shortly after we got together, we did experience a miscarriage. And this was my fourth miscarriage in a span of five years. Uh, maybe a little longer than that, maybe seven years. And I can tell you from my first few miscarriages, they set me so deeply into a depression, into a self-destructive space um, that I was just not myself. I couldn't support anyone else because I couldn't even support myself through that. I was so resistant to feeling the loss, so resistant to feeling the grief and the pain that was there. Through my third miscarriage, it it truly set me into a space of appreciating life and wanting to change. Um, I actually passed out during that miscarriage and it scared what life was in me out and back in again, because I was like, this, this is an experience that miscarriages are so common, but women aren't taught how to deal with them. Women are not supported through them. And so that's a big part of the work I do is actually along with everything you mentioned is birth doula and also early birthing support. So women who have gone through abortions or miscarriages or things like that. And I think because I've gone so deeply into that work, this fourth miscarriage happened in order to help me see the love and the beauty and the pleasure within the death and descent process. It was just, I knew that you have to go through things in order to get on the other side of them. You can't avoid them. You can't shove them down and think that they're going to go away. And so I was able to have a partner in this last one to support me. And he was a beautiful light in that space when I needed him physically, because there was times I couldn't even physically get out of bed. I was, I was that weak. But for the whole time, I sat in the grief. I felt the pain. Um, I did a microdose of uh, psilocybin at one point because I was like, maybe this will help me come out of it. And it set me so deeply into the grief that all I could do was cry and stare at the wall for six hours. Uh, It always gives you exactly what you need, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh my. And though it didn't give me what my mind expected it to, it gave me exactly what I needed because I was able to wake up the next day and feel my heart open. And whereas pain and, and all of these losses will cause us to constrict and close our heart down, we have that a choice in that awareness to truly blossom from these death and descent experiences, these pain and loss. And 
when we can find the love for ourselves, we can find the love in everything around us, every situation. Oh, so much because I'm, yeah, I'm not sure you know, I have experienced quite a few miscarriages myself. Mm. In fact, at one stage I even lost count and then I started to feel guilty that, oh my gosh, does that mean I didn't appreciate every single one of them? And I think I had maybe seven in the space of three and a half years or something. So through that time, I was a hormonal mess, you know, on top of actually grief, which I was shoving back down and not really accepting. There was also the hormones that just have you up and down so much throughout that process. It's it's a lot to actually deal with, as well as then having a partner that's also grieving and trying to be that support person for them as well. It's it's a crazy thing to experience and um, I'm really grateful now for every single one of them and I see them each as a little soul that just came to share themselves with me for that period of time and I've been able to look at it so much more, you know, with just so much love and appreciation and compassion and I know that they're all with me. Yes, definitely. I I feel through my four that there was probably only two souls and that they came back time and time again. I think that the more we open up and accept and and truly open to receive what is around us, we're able to receive every bit of everything that we're supposed to learn here. You know, people talk about soulmates. Well, when you say that, people think, okay, a physical person standing next to me. But what they don't realize is that a soulmate, a soul that is there to help you through this life can be an unborn child. It can be a fuzzy kitty or puppy. It can be anything that is a sentient being that made a contract with your soul together before you came into this life to be able to learn to love in ways that are unspeakable. I love that. Absolutely love it. I often have jokes with my daughter who's now 17 and I know what I was like as a teenager. So let's just imagine that she's very similar to me. (laughs) And um, I often joke with her. It's like, you chose me. And then, yes, all right, fine. I chose you too. So we both have so much to learn. Yes. Oh, that is beautiful. I've often thought that too, with all of the losses that Maybe it wasn't my time to have the children in this life. And even after the last one, you know, the the relationship fell apart afterwards. And it had really nothing to do with the miscarriage. But I think back on all of them and I'm like, you know, I wouldn't have been with any of their fathers. So it was actually a blessing that I didn't go through that, you know, in that time frame. And though I... In this last one, you know, the relationship looked perfect and it was, it was supportive and beautiful, but in the end of it, like it just wasn't fit. It just wasn't right. And so with the conscious separation, I was even more grateful that we weren't bringing a little soul into this physical realm. I remember watching you really torn on a call about what to do with this relationship because you had so much love there but also felt like you were going different ways and it was a real struggle for you. It was. And, and I think that was all part of the lessons. Um, one of my biggest things was I watched my mother go from, from marriage to marriage. Um, after, uh, I think she married my first stepdad when I was four years old. Um, she had run a right way with my father or my sperm donor And so there was a lot of trauma there, especially with her story around 
how she was raped by him is how she got pregnant with me. And so there was a lot of trauma there around men and abusive relationships and knowing how to truly own your worth and set your boundaries and know that love might not be the key. You know, you can love someone and you don't have to be with them and that is okay. And so this last relationship, it was beautiful in absolutely every way. I would come home to dinner with rose petals around it and, you know, the ambiance set and, and he would share in cacao ceremonies with me and all of my beautiful witchery and, and he was open to all of it and, and it was beautiful, but there was the boundary of the equality of the financial aspect. And so where I found that I was beautifully submersed in this amazing relationship in every way, except one, I had to make the decision. And though I honored him in his decision, I also had to honor my boundaries and my worth and know that if the equality is not there in absolutely every way that I need it to be with a partner, then I don't need to be in that partnership. Because that's also coming from a space of loving myself and knowing that I don't need a partner, but I want someone to share my love with. Wow, that is so powerful. Because so many men and women I know compromise and it's like, oh, you know, this bit's good, this bit's not, you know, relationships are all about compromise, right? So can't you just go with that? Can't you just say that that part's okay, even though it's not what you're wanting. And I love that you've actually set those boundaries for yourself. Yes. And it's not only the compromise, but you also get the men and women in there where, you know, they'll say, well, I've, I've spent six years of my life. I've spent six years of my energy in this or 20 or 30 or whatever it is. And they're like, I, you know, I've, I've spent so much of this energy in this relationship. I, I can't just let it go. But realistically, like, what are you holding on to? You're holding on to the torment in your soul. You're, you're holding on to the endorphins that are released when something is, is comfortable. And, and you're afraid to step out onto that edge of that uncomfortable feeling and push those edges and love yourself over anyone else in the situation. Wow. That's so potent. Incredibly so. Because every... <laughs> Every relationship I've ever witnessed, bar maybe one or two, it's very fucking rare. People are just settling and that's yes. what they're teaching their children to do. Right. And I don't, I don't understand the situations. So my mom was a, a perfect example for me growing up because her husband cheated on her and they had a, I think my little brother might've been one or two at that time. And I remember her I asked her straight up, are you going to leave? And she said, no. And I was like, I was taken back. I was like, why would you let a man do that to you? And she goes, well, I have a child. I wouldn't want him to grow up without a dad. Meanwhile, I'm thinking I grew up without a dad. I, I grew up thinking that my first stepdad was my dad until I was eight years old and found out that he wasn't my dad and completely broke down. <laughs> So I actually moved out of the house. I, I could not put myself under the same roof as a man that would cheat on a woman that he said he loved. And for to stand, not only for him not, you know, respecting her in the relationship, but for her not setting her own boundaries and loving herself and stepping out of something that was 
toxic. So much so. And like everything you're saying about your mum is almost a mirror of my life. I was with my first husband. Well, I've only had one husband, but I was with him from the age of 18. My best friend had just died, which I'd witnessed. And I remember her saying to me, you know, you'll end up together and you're going to see him so soon. I just know it. And that night she died and he was at the funeral. And it wasn't long after that we got together. So I'd held on so tightly for that reason as well, I think. But we also were such great mates. Like we got along so well. We pretty much drank and smoked our way around Australia for 10 years before we even had kids. We were just good friends. And um, when we had kids, I found out that there had been cheating. And then even when my youngest one was two, um, there was another one pretty much right in my face, you know, and I'd been told about it and he even admitted to this one and I still stayed because I didn't value myself enough and I was clinging to this idea that I thought we were meant to be together because my friend told me and, oh, and that was even 10 years later. There was just so much going on where I didn't value myself and I also thought I can't survive without a partner. Like, what am I going to do? I never thought I would be a single mum with two little kids. Like, that, that, that's not the image that I thought I would have. There was just so much going on in my head around that. And in the end, he chose one of the other women. Um, he had a child to someone else about three months before our first child was born. Um, and I didn't find out until mine was, my first was about to be born. There was just so much intertwined. And um, yeah, he's actually with them back with that one now and they're very happy. So it was always meant to be and we were meant to go through these experiences, but it just shows me how far I've come to in my self-worth because I am now a single mother of three um, to two different dads and I never wanted that label ever. But the second relationship I knew wasn't working and we are blessed to have a beautiful child out of it. And I knew that there was no point staying for the sake of a child because that child would learn everything that went against my values. Yes. So it's been a really big, big, big oh, struggle internally for me to end up where I am. But I've honestly never been happier because I have... I've never had so much self-love and self-worth. Oh, that is beautiful. A big part of what I do is going into women's work and teaching them that there are ways that we can really tune back into our power and our self-worth. And, and I don't even like using the word teaching. I like rather sharing with them how I have accomplished that. But I think our society teaches women and conditions women into we have to have a partner. We can't be alone. We can't do this alone. We, you know, there's all of these, these stories. They're just stories um, attached to it. And, you know, even after my last uh, separation, I wrote a piece called Love Versus Hate. And it's all about choosing the love for someone, even if you're not meant to be together. And him and I are still able to talk. We're still able to communicate. You know, like you were saying, your first husband and you were best friends. Like, we're best friends. We love each other. We just can't be together. 
and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, finally realizing the okayness in all of that. My, my, my first husband, we were together for 17 years after all of that. And um, when he finally chose the other woman. And so I was absolutely lost. 30 something year old, just wondering what the fuck just happened to my whole life. And we are back, you know, it was a bit shitty for a while because of the, oh my God, how could you do this to me? But we are actually good friends again now and um, nothing like, of course, what we were, but the friendship is there and we get along well and the kids come first and it's, it's very peaceful and I adore him for that. Oh, that's beautiful. I think that honestly, like every relationship and I, and I understand domestic violence and just different things like that where it really gets nasty, but I still think even within that, we have the opportunity to choose love. I had an experience after my last six year relationship where I was actually in yoga teacher training and he walked into the building with his new girlfriend just about a month after we separated and he was recording on his phone. So I, I already knew that he was trying to cause issues, but I presented with all of my rage and anger that I had held in for six years of being with him. And even though he was the one that came into that space and, and started whatever that was, I took it into my hands in a very angry way and I ended up getting a battery charge while he got no punishment. And at the time I looked at it as this very bitter thing. And I was like, this is terrible. Like this, our justice system is twisted, which it is, but that's a different subject. <laughs> yeah. So what that taught me in the moment is yes, I got six months probation with a, a battery charge to be dismissed, but it taught me to choose love in the moment. So I reacted from my pain body in a space that was very hurt and very valid, but I had the choice in that moment to choose a loving reaction or a loving response rather, and I didn't, I reacted. And so that was a pivotal point in my life to where I really saw the value in choosing love, no matter how much pain or anger or rage or grief you were feeling. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, so important. I remember saying to, because my, my girls now are 17 and 19, but when my last relationship ended, it was two years ago. And I remember saying to them that whatever happens, it is my priority to leave with love and compassion, no matter what. And it hasn't always been easy, you know, and, and there are times where it's like, oh God, I probably could have done that better. But that has been at the core of everything that I've done since then. Yes. And no, it is not an easy path. There's a reason people choose anger and fear and everything else over actually choosing what makes them feel good in their body. This path is not easy, but it is so worth it. Oh, so much. And it's teaching my daughters as well. Like they're at such a crucial age where they're they're in relationships themselves or one is, one isn't, but they get to choose and they now get to choose because they have seen me, that those girls, I used to joke that they are um, turned out to be so beautiful despite me because oh. of all the crap that, you know, that they witnessed. I remember even missing a Christmas morning because I was so drunk the night before and woke up in some guy's bed that I didn't even know who he was. It turned out to be great, but um, I didn't get home in time and my parents had to bring out the Christmas stockings. Thankfully, I'd pre-packed them. But that's some of the stuff that my girls have actually experienced from their own mother 
And they've thankfully as well been with me through all of the pain, through all of the chaos, and then through all of the turning it all around and showing them self-love, showing them boundaries, showing them what it's really like to choose yourself, to nurture yourself, and to say, do you know what? I'm worthy of so much more. I'm not doing this to myself anymore either. And they've got to witness all of that. And so when someone put it to me that they're not such beautiful girls despite me they in fact my daughter even said mum we turned out so good because of you and because of what you've taught us throughout your whole journey as chaotic as some of that might have been so yeah it's just everything is a gift no matter what yes definitely and they definitely turned out that way because of you like my life has never been hard in comparison to others but it's also not been easy and it is every moment of every bit that was painful that made me the woman I am today and able to stand in my, my embodied light and share that with other women. It's so important and it's so important too because, uh, you know, I've seen so many women resent their childhood, resent their parents, resent so much. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like my girls have got every right to be resentful, really. They could use that as, a, as an excuse for them being on drugs or as an excuse for whatever they choose to do. But it's, it's when you always come back to that love that you were talking about before, if you bring that at the core of everything you do, then you take responsibility for every choice you make. Yes. I, I have started coming from the heart with everything. So I had gone back through journals and I'd gone back through social media posts and I realized that like there was one core thing there, no matter what I was going through, no matter the limiting beliefs that were coming up or whatever was showing itself, I was always coming from the heart. Like I always had a good heart in everything that I was doing and I never intentionally wanted to hurt anyone. So I think even with that, like I took all the pain because I was like, I can handle the pain. I don't want to give it to anyone, but I can handle it. So my, my new thing that I've really been focusing on coming through the heart is, am I creating from the heart? Am I receiving from the heart? And when it comes to currency and, you know, abundance, am I spending from the heart? Ooh, powerful. Yeah. And it, it's, it's shifted so many things in that realm of like adding that heart space, that love to everything we do, no matter if it is relationships or prosperity or whatever life has to throw at us. <laughs> yeah, so much. I hadn't even considered, you know, because I'm all about the love and the light, but I haven't even considered that when it comes to finances. Finances yes. to me was something I've avoided. It's like, oh, that's a dirty word. I'm not even looking at my bank account. It's a, something that I've avoided a lot in my life. It's like, oh God, don't even want to look and see where I'm at. I'm actually taking control of that a lot more now as much as I'm in resistance to it. But that's a beautiful next step for me. So thank you to actually spend from the heart as well and just be really not mindful, but heartful with everything I do financially. Yes. And it's, I think so many of us grew up in a scarcity mindset. You know, I, I remember my mom always telling me, you know, we can't afford that. You can't play sports because we can't afford the gas to take you in and, you know, into town and back. You need to ride the bus and all of these things. And so I took all of these things. But meanwhile, there was always this like magic that when I wanted something and my heart was behind it, it just magically appeared and I got it. And I was like, 
wait a minute, there's power here. Like, if you want to afford it, you can't. And so it, it really set me into this space of like, okay. Um, and I really noticed it last year. Was it the last? I think it was last year in April. I went to Bali and my yoga instructor for the retreat, she hit me up six weeks before the tr- retreat. And I was like, I don't have the, the currency that you need for this space. Like, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And when I got off the call with her, my heart just lit up and I was like, but I want to, I feel this, I want to. And so I don't know, the universe allowed it. And I went to Bali in six weeks. (laughs) Oh, it's so magic. Yeah. I feel like when you come from the heart with everything you do, things come back to you tenfold. And it it just allows this beautiful flow to come through. The, The universe is only clear on what you are clear on. So if you still have scarcity limiting beliefs and scarcity mindset, then yes, you're going to be worried about the M word. I don't like saying money. I even feel like words have a vibration. Oh, they so, so do. <laughs> yes. So when you speak of money to people, they tend to cringe. They tend to, you know, unless they have a lot of it, they're like, oh, that, that caused constriction in my body because there's so many limiting beliefs around scarcity and what the vibration of that word holds. But instead, you notice that I, I spoke before I ever mentioned that about currency, about abundance. And so I feel like if we change the way we speak, we're changing our thought patterns, then we're finding those limiting beliefs and actually shifting those limiting beliefs so that the universe is clear on what we want in our lives and can actually provide that to us. Oh, so much. I'm obviously all about words and where every single word has has a vibration. And then you create your own too with your feelings on those words that you speak. But yeah, I grew up with my family were farmers. So they definitely had tough years in drought where, you know, we didn't even know if we had to sell the farm. And then the next thing we're getting shipped off to boarding school that we'd been booked into our whole lives and all of this stuff. And we were the poorest ones at the boarding school. So as much as to everyone else, we were wealthy farmers. When I was at the boarding school, it was like, oh God, everyone's like driving these amazing cars and mum was in an old Holden, like all the stuff, right? So it didn't matter that to some we were abundant. To mum and dad, mum in particular, she's always had that like, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, all of the things. Yet here we were being sent to boarding school. And so it was very conflicting for me growing up. And I definitely took on that lack vibration that she instilled in me from such a young age and that I witnessed, you know, from the very reality of being farmers that were in drought years. Like I think that drought went for, God, at least five years or something. It wasn't fun. But mum today, even still, will say to me, oh, you can't afford that. You know, still speaks this over me. And I just have this in my heart now where I just smile and I just say, do you know what? That's, that's your perception. It's not mine anymore. But I took that on for so long. Right. And I think that we do. Um, I think that my family still has that mindset. I grew up on ranches. And so we never owned the ranches. We were always ranch hands. So we didn't need very much to survive. You know, the house was provided for the, you know, the ranch vehicle was provided for the horses were used on the ranch. So the ranch fed them, you know, so all the major expenses were, were kind of taken care of. And now when I look back at it, we had a very abundant life, but they were very much stuck in this space of, they didn't have anything extra. Like this is all we had and this is what we could live off of. And sometimes that meant eating ramen noodles for dinner and that was it. 
you know? So totally resonate with that. Yeah, it's just such a reality. And I remember I lived, when I left my last relationship, I lived with my parents in their shed for a year, sleeping in the shed with my littlest one. The two girls were inside in my old bedroom. I just thought, I'm stuck here forever. Like, what am I going to do? And just did so much work last year and it all shifted. And I managed to, I'm thinking I'm never going to be able to rent on my own. Like this lack mentality was so ingrained, even though I'd managed to do so many wonderful things in my life. And yeah, I, I suddenly found a house to move into and it was way more than what I wanted to spend, but the universe just was the only one that I got accepted for. So here I am and I thought, oh God, like I've signed this contract. How am I going to pay rent? And it's been ease and flow all year, even in the midst of COVID. But in the it moved in four days before Christmas. And then in January, there was an opportunity to see Marcy Locke in Perth. So the other side, 4,000 kilometers away. And I thought, I have to go. I have to see her in person. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I can pay rent, but I have to go to Perth and have this VIP experience. And like you were talking about, it was in my heart. And somehow I got on a plane and I went to Perth and I had the most incredible couple of days and came back. And I still to this day think, how the fuck did I manage that? <laughs> you know, just It just keeps working out. And so that's been my mantra all year. I am so supported and things just work out. Yes. My new mantra is currency just flows. I learned something. So, okay. So <laughs> here's a vulnerable story. So I stripped my way through college. Um, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and I just, I was 18. I had no resume. I couldn't get a job. I was running out of money and I was like, I don't know what to do. And this gentleman's sign was flashing bright. <laughs> and so I started dancing and I realized something then when I was worried about money, it was so elusive. It was, it was like, it crawled away from me. But when I just put my trust and my faith in myself and the universe that it was just going to flow to me, I made more money than or more currency than I could even imagine. I should have been smarter with it. I was 18. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I truly think that we attract to us what we're focused on. And if we're worried about it, then it's not going to come through. But if we're like, okay, this is what I want in my heart. And we have a clear list of, you know, these are the things that I want to accomplish and release the attachment of how it's going to come. It just flows in. It so does. Yeah, <laughs> so much so. It's incredible how just having that faith makes such a big difference. And, I'm, you know, the logic brain of mine is going, what, what? I don't get that. But the trust within myself is like, of course, that's the way the universe works. Right. I am a very logical person, but on the other side of that, I am very much a mystic. And I'm like, I, I don't even try to understand things because I realize as a human, I probably can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have so many friends now that just say, you know, even if something really shitty is happening, they'll look at me and grin and say, you know, it's all a big cosmic fucking joke, don't you? Like, it's all hilarious. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. All right. I'm here to feel it. Let's just feel it all. Yes. And I, I honestly think like when you, you know, saying that, like putting play back into everything 
helps so much with life and it, it just helps us to find that happiness and that lightness and not be so heavy and weighed down all the time. I'm glad you mentioned that because you know, so much of my life, there has been heartache, there's been pain, there's been death, there's been all these things. And, you know, every, every coach you see is saying, you've got to feel it, you've got to dive down and really feel it all. And I'm going, I've been feeling it my whole fucking life. I just want to play and dance and sing and just forget about it all. But in doing that, that's where the magic has really shifted in my life. Turning on a song every morning and dancing to it and just singing at the top of my lungs or playing or, you know, my little boy and I put on a song. It's a Xavier Rudd song. Most nights he calls it the bird song and it's beautiful words in it. And it, he calls it his meditation and he just oh. loves listening to it and falls asleep. It, it's just beautiful. But there's that take away the seriousness. Yes, dive in and feel it. Just don't wallow in it there for 10 years. Right. I totally feel that. I totally agree with you. And that's something I've caught myself doing as a self-empowerment coach is like, well, you have to feel it. But I'm like, wait, feeling it sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's uncomfortable. It's, it's not fun. So instead, why don't we, you know, like you said, put on a song. I will have clients come in and we'll sit down and we, you know, we have a polarity session or whatever scheduled and they're just so heavy and they're so in their head. And so I make us a cup of cacao and I sit us down and, you know, depending on the client, we might smoke some cannabis or whatever it is and just get out of our head and allow that play to come through and put a song on and dance and move and just shake it out. And by the time we're done with that, they're like, so is that the session? Because I feel complete. And I'm like, well, if that's what you needed, you know, like. Play is, is so underrated, I think. And I think as children, it? we're taught to not play. We're, we're taught to stop fidgeting and sit up straight and don't speak until you're spoken to. And, you know, just all of these conditionings that make us forget how to have fun, how to play. Yeah, yeah, so much. And I think too, now that I'm thinking about it, that's been the blessing after all those miscarriages I had, I ended up with a little boy who is turning five very soon. And these last couple of years of those five years, he's obviously, you know, between three and five. So everything is about play and imagination and opposite to my girls is a lot more play fighting and shooting and dying and stuff like that that we do, but it's all play and it's all fun. And so every mealtime now becomes play. Like there's play in everything we do. And that's been his magical gift to me. Oh, that is so beautiful. And I honestly think that that is, that's so important. You know, like little boys and little girls are so different, but you know, you, you just mentioned like the, you know, the shoot them up and the, the death and the, and I think like, it's so important to find the ecstasy, the pleasure, the play, even when we're dying. Like there are parts of us that are dying all the time and we're so resistant to let them go. But children just exude this like, okay, well, it's changing. Man, let's, let's go play with this, you know? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it is like, and he'll burst into tears one minute and he'll need a hug for as long as he needs that hug for and cry it out. And then all of a sudden he's gone. Yeah. Like, oh, right, come over here. And it's like, oh, shit, righto, we're, we're done. Okay. <laughs> That is so beautiful. Sometimes it's 10 seconds of that and feeling all his feels and sometimes it's five minutes, but mm. he's always complete and then it's onto something else. 
Oh, that is so beautiful. You know, after my losses, I, I have the desire there that if I'm meant to be a mama, I will be. But I also know that there are so many beautiful children in this world that I can just touch their little souls and, and share my magic with them and not have to have ones of my own. But I'm finding more than me sharing with them that I'm learning from them. <laughs> so much. Yeah. I think that's the one difference between being a mum like my daughter's 19, so almost 20 years ago, to experiencing being a mum now, because I was 43 when I had little Flynn. So there's been a massive difference in timelines there. So it's just, it's been such a gift. And everyone was saying, that's the stupidest thing you've ever done, having a child at that age and all the things. And it's just been the biggest blessing. Oh, that is so beautiful. And I'm so happy to hear you say that because so many women don't have children. Even I know I have limiting beliefs and I'm like, well, if I don't have one by 30, I'm not having them. Well, that's coming up in a year and a half. And uh... <laughs> yeah. So yeah, releasing all of that. And I think that's just beautiful that you, that you chose to do that. And yeah, I'm a much better mum to him at my age now than I ever would have been in the midst of my chaos and breakdowns and things, you know, earlier on. Yeah. I also wonder too, like, I know that little girls tend to be tougher. And so it's interesting to me that you had two girls during that time, but your little boy came after. Yeah. And he's been a big teacher to them as well. Like they're embracing so much more play now. They've got no choice. <laughs> like he, he pretty much rules the show it's like let's play and it's like oh okay oh that's cute <laughs> so they're embracing he thinks he pretty much has i don't know the whole world is still revolving around him at this age so the two sisters as much as he fights with one of them sometimes that's you know totally normal they're that much older that everyone's his carer almost and he just adores it Oh, that is so beautiful. And to just be surrounded by so many beautiful women as he's growing up. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's going to have a pretty blessed girlfriend one day, I feel. And the, I think the importance there is that he's going to know how to treat a woman. And he's going to know how to, as well, he's going to be that very embodied masculine that is healed and not coming from a wounded space. You know, he'll be able to own himself and his truth within the relationships. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I I didn't actually want to spend this podcast talking about him, but it's <laughs> fascinating to see sometimes where, you know, if I stub my toe or just something happens and I'm going, oh, he will come up to me and put his arm around me and put my head on his chest and say, it's okay, mama. And just, I really see some of his masculine shining through, which I didn't think would happen at such a young age. It's just been really interesting to watch his masculine and feminine sides and experience them because it's just so new to me and I wasn't even aware of them when my girls were growing up. So it's been oh. just it's been like a fun ride. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Yeah, it is. So, I, yeah, I don't think it's ever too late for you. I think it'll all come at the perfect time in your journey as well. For sure. I am really stepping into that beautiful power as a divine goddess that is, I am not the least bit worried about a relationship or anything. I have three years of a shaman program to go through to get my priestess license and oh, initiation. Beautiful. And I just, I am just a free soul. I don't want to be tied down. <laughs> yes, yeah, so much. <laughs> and just experiencing that 
loving on yourself instead of needing someone else. But I'm fascinated by this priestess thing because the words come up a lot, right? And sometimes I sit at my altar and have cacao and go, I am a fucking priestess. And now you're telling me, oh my God, there's a license for that shit. Talk to me about what this, what it is. What are you doing? So I'm actually going to go through a shaman program that is through the Earth Temple Church. And so they are with nature, like they're absolutely beautiful. They hold plant medicine ceremonies and all of these incredible things. So the first year you go through your shaman program and you're studying shamanism and medicine for yourself. You're learning how to embody it. The second year you go in, you're learning how to work with this specific plant medicine, whichever is the chosen one. And then the third year, I would be actually facilitating and help holding space for all these ceremonies that I have gone to the previous two years. And so while it's not guaranteed at the end of that three years, I can actually apply for my minister's license, uh, certification license to become a licensed minister through the US and federally so that I can legally hold plant medicine ceremonies. Oh, wow. So your laws are so different to ours over here. I don't think that's even possible in Australia, but wow. So if you're a minister, you can actually hold plant medicine ceremonies. Yes. So churches are allowed to practice under spiritual ritual and ceremony in the way that they choose for their spirituality, for their church. And so that's the reason they made themselves a federally legal church is so that they could get through under the umbrella of of being a a religious space in a sense for us to practice the medicine that is so dear to our souls and our hearts and and allows us to see beyond the illusions. Wow, that's fascinating for me <laughs> coming from the country that I live in. What you're in New Mexico, yeah? I am, yes. What are the laws like there, generally? Medical cannabis is legal as far as if you hold a medical card. Everything else is totally illegal, but... Unless you're part of a church. Unless you're part of a church that pra- that has certain practices that allow these things. Um, so, like, I'm traveling all the way to California for one of my ceremonies. And for this whole shaman program, I'll actually be traveling to California to do this. And I know that California laws are different, like... California is actually one of the few states right now, and I think Oregon, that are testing psilocybin and its effects on PTSD and all of these other things um, for holistic healing. Mm, I've definitely read a few studies on that, but that'll have to be for another day. We'll have to get you back and talk more about (laughs) the plant medicine side of things because it's just, I have seen the studies on how incredibly beneficial it is for depression, anxiety, and, and other mental conditions. I say that with, yes, you know, yeah, I say that very loosely, but it's fascinating. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It is such an amazing opportunity to be able to speak and share my magic and medicine and just have a beautiful conversation with you. Uh, It's been a wonderful way to get to know you more. I'm so grateful. Thank you. We so appreciate you listening in and growing alongside us. We'd love it if you could rate, review and share with friends.